in Lagos, I was preaching at House on the Rock. And so uh, here it's more of a business leadership summit. And uh, each event has been just as different as each country has been. I've had a great experience. Uh, I've enjoyed coming here in the past to South Africa. Uh, did a SOAR event here um, some a couple of years ago. And, but I've also done some preaching throughout Johannesburg and Cape Town, and I enjoyed that as well. Mm. Well, you often talk about fellowship and, and the importance of that kind of fellowship. Uh, when you look at uh, certainly your own ministry in the United States and you look at the kind of fellowship that you've uh, experienced here on the continent of Africa, what are the similarities and uh, uh, maybe what are the, I guess, differences uh, that, you've, that, that you've encountered? I think that some of our challenges are more similar than you might think. Uh, when I look ahead, when I look at the future, when I look at uh, the decline in a middle class, uh, the fight to build middle class substantively, uh, to to be a voice for the underserved, uh, to create better relationships between people of diverse origins and backgrounds, we have similar challenges. The world is the world is the world. And right now, uh, the world is perhaps more chaotic than it has been almost in my lifetime uh, and that's quite a bit saying coming from the 60s and uh, being a baby boomer <laughs> um, and so this is my way of being a contributor to being solution oriented and I, I think that we can achieve solutions but you can't have solutions with people you don't talk to and so I want to create and use the influence of my brand to create a platform for conversations with people that have a tendency to slip into silos and to become engrossed in who they are at the expense of meeting and talking to other people. Mm. And Bishop, you know, we live in a very volatile world. Uh, it might be, you know, the rising narrow nationalism that we see across the entire world, right through to fake news to the climate crises that we have um, and, uh, you know, I guess uh, challenges to the democratic project across the world. Um, and a big question is often, you know, where are the Christian leaders when we find ourselves in this kind of crisis? What is the kind of leadership that you think we need uh, to be able to navigate some of these challenges? You know, it's always funny when people say, where are the Christian leaders? Uh, I think that they're present. But uh, to be honest with you, most Christian leaders are not prepared to take on global warming and political uprisings. They're trying to pastor a church. They're overwhelmed with the needs of their parishioners. Uh, they're trying to stabilize the well-being of building a church and that sort of thing. I think sometimes you give us more credit than we ought to have when it comes to being able to be supermen and change the world. We can't change the world by ourselves, and that's what this summit is all about, bringing all sides to the table, the CEOs, the spiritual leaders, the elected officials, bringing them all together, because it's going to take all of us lifting in the same direction in order to effectively bring about real substantive change. I can give you hope all day long, but if that hope is deferred, eventually you're going to get tired of hearing me say everything's going to be all right, because it's not going to be all right if you don't have a job or you don't have infrastructure, or you don't have your needs met. And so what I want to do is use my platform to create a conversation between leaders of all stripes so that we stop looking for superheroes and understand that this is a group project and we have to do this together. 
Bishop, many people who listen to our platform would be familiar with uh, many of the books that you've written. Mm-hmm. And I want you to let us in uh, for, for a minute here into your own creative process. Mm-hmm. Uh, when are you prompted or when do you feel impelled to write? And what is that creative process like? I smile when you say that because this is such a great place to answer that question. Uh, I was on a safari in South Africa uh, when I was inspired to write Instinct. And uh, it actually was inspired from being right here in this country, uh, looking at elephants and, and uh, giraffes and, and, and just being aware of how instinctive they were and how instinctive we are. And then when I went back and started uh, reading up from various uh, materials provided by universities, I began to realize, and they began to confirm the fact that we are not just intelligent people, we're also instinctive people. And we don't talk about that a lot. So that's just one example of the many books. I don't even know when it's going to happen. It has no real strategy. I could I could meet somebody or have an experience that spawned something that had me writing for the next year and a half. Uh, but I try to write because I understand the responsibility of people who have had unique experiences to put those experiences down so that people who have not had them uh, can benefit from those experiences. It is, it is the fruit of our life to, to expose other people who may not have been exposed to the same things you were. What is that process like? Uh, I mean, just talk us through it. Uh, you're a very busy man, uh, globe-trotting across all far corners of the world. When do you find the time? You know, it's not really that hard because you're on the plane a lot. You're uh, with nothing to do. Sure. You know, it's not that we don't have time. It's what we do with the time. And the funny thing about it, there's very little difference between uh, developing a storyline for a movie or preparing for a sermon or writing a book. It's all about communication. And uh, putting communication in such a way that it is palatable to the hearer or the reader or the viewer is very similar. If you understand uh, what device you're going to be speaking through, whether through books or on stage or through film, uh, then you understand how to color in that story and how to make finesse that story in such a way that it flows Mm. properly. A really good book has a rhythm. Mm. A really good movie has a rhythm. A really good sermon has a rhythm. So getting that rhythm and getting that tone is important. And all of them require an outline. You you have an outline when you're doing the book, much like you have an outline when you're doing a sermon. Uh, you have a drawing board when you're doing a movie and you're putting a script together. And, and they're very, very similar. So above everything else, people describe me as a preacher or some people know me as a business person. I say I'm a communicator. And, and that really covers the gambit of all the different ways in which mm. I communicate. Let's talk about that. I mean, the foray into the stage, into the films, uh, alongside the books and uh, all of the other material that you have. Uh, from humble beginnings with a congregation of seven people, how did you make that transition into all of these multiple mediums? And, and I guess transition from being a preacher, but uh, to now, as you uh, uh, suggest, to being a communicator. See, that's, that's where the, the flaw is in the question. I didn't start as a preacher. My mother you didn't. Were a communicator yeah, my, my mother didn't birth me and say, oh, sure. look, God's given me a preacher. She gave a person. Mm-hmm. So when you start with being true to who you are, not a title that you have, there's a lot of things in all of us. And I think what I want people to understand is don't allow people to incarcerate you in a title. 
because that title will limit you from discovering all that you are. As it relates to building, I watched my father build a janitorial service to up to 52 employees, and he started it with a mop and a bucket. So when you're a little boy and you watch a man with nothing start and build a business that ends up with 52 employees and 10 trucks, contracts all over the state of West Virginia, building is in your blood. You don't expect somebody to give you something for nothing. You prepare to have a good, strong work ethic. You understand the sweat equity of being a, per a person who perseveres. And so all of those things have helped me to build along the way. And very, very little have I inherited, almost nothing. I didn't inherit a church. I didn't inherit an industry. I didn't inherit a business. Everything had to be bootstrapped, built from the ground up. And so I think I'm the perfect person uh, to talk to a wide spectrum of people. Because to the poor, I've been poor. I've been broke. I've had no lights. I've had no water. I've had my car repossessed. I know what it is to have absolutely nothing. So I can talk to poor people. To the rich, I can talk to the rich because I know what it is to stay in a penthouse. And I know what it is to, to travel around the country, around the world. I have friends who are billionaires and millionaires. And I have friends who work at gas stations and grocery stores. People are people. So uh, because I've had such a wide array of experiences, it's, it's made me able to reach up and reach down and create bridges of conversation between the two because both have a tendency to hate the other. And I've been both, so I can hate neither. So that changes the whole game. When you've been poor, uh, you can talk to poor people who uh, look at wealthy people with contempt. On the other hand, there are wealthy people that look at poor people with contempt. I can't have contempt for either because I am both. Mm. Bishop, there's a big debate happening here in South Africa and throughout the continent um, of the intersection between money and what many people suggest is the commodification of the word and the commodification of religious experiences. What is your view on that? I've certainly heard some of your views where you say it's a big question if we don't know where the money's come from. Mm -hmm. If we're able to track the journey of the perseverance of the sweat equity that you're talking about. Um, and yet across the entire continent, this sort of prosperity or this gospel of just prosperity and uh, quick wins and quick money is certainly seeming to take root. What's your view on that? Well, first of all, you have to realize in every genre there are charlatans. So let's start from the ground up. There will always be people. There will be doctors that abuse their positions. There will be presidents that abuse their positions. Ministry is no different. But to lump everybody in the same category and think that everybody is because somebody is, is the root of what prejudice is all about. Each person has their own experience. And to be successful should not exempt you from ministry as long as you didn't make that success off the backs of the poor. Now, understanding that is important because then we can differentiate what is the real crime, what is the real problem, so that we don't demonize success in general or say to our young people, if you go into ministry, you have gone into poverty. That's not necessarily true. Who would want to go into that? Okay, So we have to be careful that while we execute judgment on, on the wicked, that we don't uh, discourage those who, uh, who have goals and dreams for their lives and still have faith. Because if you relegate the, the preaching of the gospel to only the poor, then only the poor will hear it. We've got a major challenge in this country when it comes to ethical 
leadership and ethical conduct in the private sector spaces and corporations right through to the uh, public service. Um, and I'd be interested from your perspective, from your vantage point, what do you think are the key tasks of ethical leaders in multiple spaces? Oh my gosh, I'm almost scared to answer the question because I've got so much to say about it I could talk to you all day. I think people who are unethical with their positions uh, are short-sighted. They don't see the bigger picture of raising up the environment around them. They want to get theirs quick because they don't have the faith to believe that success is sustainable. And this is the message I want them to hear. Success is only sustainable when you cease to be selfish. You can shear sheep many times, but you can only skin them once. And when you are unethical, you skin the sheep. And you kill the opportunity for the future, for the environment, for the world, for the generation. When you are ethical, you can shear the sheep many times. The wool will grow back again until you become abusive. That message needs to get out in South Africa, in America, in South America, around the world. Because now more than ever, we need leaders who have the people on their mind and have the ability to understand that I can share with you and not destroy me. This kind of abuse of power where I, I get more than I could ever use or need in a lifetime and, and do it to the detriment of roads and highways and, and infrastructure that would develop a community that's safe actually incarcerates the wealthy. Because if I build a house and I have to stay behind the gates of the house, am I not in prison? So my selfishness has put me in jail. If I care about those around me and we begin to share the wealth, and I'm not talking about uh, uh, becoming uh, social uh, socialization to the point that we have all things in common, but just, just thinking ahead for the betterment of all people creates an environment where... Uh, Everybody does well. Then we can walk the streets at night. Then our children are safe. Then we can really feel like brothers and sisters. Everybody's not going to be wealthy, but we want to make sure that everybody's got something to eat and something to wear and a chance at the life you choose to live. That's all people want is a chance, just, just a way, a path forward. And I would say to every leader that's listening out there, it is, it is important. I said in America, we're starting to understand that in corporate America, that you, that you give back to the community that you take from. It is the law of nature, sowing and reaping seed time and harvest. It's why leaves fall. It's why rain comes down. Reciprocity is extremely important in order to have success. We're going to be with you for the next few days or so at the Masterclass. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of our listeners uh, will be attending that Masterclass, and some of them won't be. Mm -hmm. uh, just uh, for, for some of those who won't be attending, uh, what are some of the things that you want to touch on uh, and that you think are crucial as messages uh, to many of the leaders of industries, uh, large and small, that are going to be in there? Well, you know, there, there's a lot to, to touch on. Honestly, I don't want to do it all on the radio at the expense of not doing it there. But I will say this. Having my ear to the ground of the nations of the world, Africa as a continent uh, has so much promise and so much future, 
has so many raw minerals and things that the world needs in order to survive from oil and gas to technology is starting to emerge here in new ways so just simple things like food it is not that the world doesn't want to trade and do business they do they just need a trusted place to do it in creating that trust is imperative to the survival of this country of my country at home of every country and all of us around the world are being faced with more and more corruption just because corruption wears nice clothes and hides its money in different pockets doesn't mean it doesn't exist so we have to be on the fight against it so, because when it comes to wealth when it comes to success when it comes to air when it comes to water it knows nothing about patriotism air doesn't stop at south africa we share the same air with America. We share the same water. We we share the same need for wealth. Wealth is a global currency. If we catch a cold in America, you catch the flu in Africa. So we can't disconnect. If you get a disease, it's going to travel to us. We are our brother's keeper and we need more leaders who understand how global we are, how flat the world is, and how important it is that we create trade how important it is that we create commerce how important it is that we take advantage of technology that i can shop with you from my house online and it creates an opportunity for young entrepreneurs who are listening at me right now i did half of my christmas shopping on my phone by my bed with people who produce products in africa if you don't promote your business through these technological devices that are affordable and easily accessible then you can't cry because people don't hear about it don't respond to it you are thinking uh locally when real business is done globally Bishop Timothy Jakes thank you very much for your time True. going on a safari anytime soon I don't get to do it this time <laughs> I got to get back home too quick but I would love to maybe next time yes, thank you very much Bishop Thank you it's been a real pleasure